When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And my name is Dustin. And we're the host of... The Alexander Standard. That's better. Inspired by Rex Factor Podcast, we rank all the successors of Alexander the Great. From Perdiccas... To Cleopatra VII. After Alexander the Great died, really hit the fan. Seriously, the Hellenistic world was a crazy place. And we've got some crazy stories to tell you. So please come check out our show, The Alexander Standard. Gamarjoba, and welcome to the History of Sacadvelo, Georgia. I'm your host, Roberto, and this is episode 25, Vachtang and the Ossetian Menace. In today's episode, we'll dive into the early parts of King Vachtang I's reign. Before I continue, I do have some announcements to make. I would like to, once again, apologize for taking so long in releasing a narrative episode. Between work travel, the stress of my finances going downhill because of increasing student loan rates, and just the main energy levels that I have, I have been unable to focus this whole time on giving you the most chronicle accurate portrayal of Vaktang. I will say that with this, I will be moving away from bi-weekly releases and moving the schedule to be released on an as-I-can basis. This will help with my stress, and you'll still have Patreon to listen to more episodes, where you will get at least an episode a month. It could be more overall per month, or it could be less, but you'll still get content somehow. Thank you all for your continuing support, especially to our Patreon members who have joined, such as Mitchell, who has joined the rank of Aristavi and will therefore be known as Aristavi Micheli Narazeni Cavalieris Opizzeri, or Aristavi Micheli of Narazeni Cavalry Officer. Thank you for your support, Aristavi Micheli, and you too can get access to all of our awesome bonus episodes. This month, we'll be focusing on Dali, the goddess of the hunt, and mother to Amaran of Myth Episode 3 fame. In our last episode, we went over the reigns of King Archil and Mirdat V, and saw how their reigns brought the Sasanan overlordship to Kartli, and the events that had Mirdat finally marry Sagdukt, the daughter of the Vitaxa, or Governor General of Caucasian Albania, Barzabod. Their marriage was mostly spent hoping for a son, and in the end, they got their wish with the birth of Varang Khwastrotang, or as we will come to know him, Vachtang. Things were tumultuous in Kartli. 
With the death of Mirdat V, the seven-year-old Vakhtang was left to inherit the throne, and the contest for who would become the real ruler whispering into the child king's ear began. With all the Aristavi busy arguing amongst themselves, the queen mother, Sagdukt, was more concerned about the faith of her young son, especially when it came to her father, the powerful Vitax of Caucasian Albania, Barzabod. Her main concern was that Barzabod would take advantage of the political turmoil to take revenge for all the times King Archil and Mirdat V had defeated him in battle. Not to mention that Sagdut had converted to Christianity while Barzabod remained a staunch Zoroastrian, and what would the Georgian chroniclers do without a little persecution? Queen Mother Sagdut called Saurmag, the Spaspeto, and the rest of the main Aristavi to the throne room. With tears in her eyes, she explained that her concerns over the probable hostilities from her father were proving too much, and that she needed to go to Bardav, her father's capital, and work out a deal with him to ensure peace within the realm. They agreed, and Saurabhag temporarily took the place of regent while she was away. Off in Bardav, the news of Mirdat's death reached Barzabod, his long-standing rival, the son-in-law who had humiliated him and stolen his beautiful daughter was gone, and there was nothing stopping him from going in with his superior force and conquering the Kartveli land for himself. He prepared his army and supplies, and ensured that his son, Varaz Bakur, was declared his heir. Off in the distance, an entourage arrived, and news came that Sagdut had come to meet her father, and the curious Barzabad awaited her on his throne. She approached him weeping, removed her headscarf, exposed her chest, fell to her knees, and wept bitter tears on her father's feet. She implored Barzabod to be the protector of Vakhtang, to let him keep his lands, and to not ask either her or her son to renounce their faith. In return, they would acknowledge the protection of the Persian Shah. Barzabod could not bear to see his daughter in such a state, and agreed to her request, while adding in a condition of his own. His daughter could remain an apostate to Ahura Mazda, but, as of a taxa of the Shah, it was his prerogative to allow those who wished to convert to Zoroastrianism to convert. He would send Sagduk back with a few magi who would have free reign of movement around Kartli. Freedom of religion in this day and age? Maybe this story has a happy ending after all. Sagdut had no choice but to agree to his condition. She understood the power dynamic here, and knew in her heart that a true Christian would rather die than renounce their faith. She returned a few days later, followed by a multiple magi led by their leader, Binkaran, who settled in the town of Mokhta. When she returned, she found the Aristavi and Spaspeto arguing over the role of the new regent, which they had done the entire time. Saramog had many loyalists, but was not without enemies either. However, Sagdut and her father's unsteady alliance meant that the role of queen regent fell to her. She placed Vakhtang under the tutelage of Spaspeto Saramog so that he may grow knowledgeable in governance. Elsewhere, the Magi made their move. The small embers of Zoroastrianism grew into a raging wildflower that swept the land as much of the populace converted back to the religion of their forefathers, undoing all of Miriam III's hard work a little more than a century before. Unbeknownst to the royal family, the Zoroastrian leadership received assistance from Bishop Mobidan, a secret Zoroastrian. 
Allegedly. This is the Chronicles we're talking about here, after all. This all left Sogduk more than a little concerned. She had no idea that her father's religion would become so influential. Her eyes welled with tears as she desperately prayed to God to send someone who would put a stop to this and give her someone who would bring the Kartveli back to their faith. The next day, she received word that Bishop Mobidon had passed. Once the news reached Constantinople, the patriarch dispatched Bishop Michael to replace him. Suffice to say that a religious showdown was brewing between Michael and the Magi Binkaran. They both declared with passion the benefits of their religion to the whole populace, and Michael indeed succeeded in regaining some lost sheep. In the end, Zoroastrianism's fire burned out and returned to being a mere cinder once again. Despite success on the religious front, the political sector was thrown into turmoil once again after both Spaspeto Saramag and Sagduk's father, remember him? The Vitaxa Barzabod passed away. With one of the true powers behind the Kartveli throne suddenly replaced by Barzabod's son and heir, Faraz Bakur, new, shall we say, opportunities opened up. The new governor-general of Caucasian Albania sought to place someone loyal to the Persian hegemony in a place of power in Kartli. So, he wrote to the Shah and had a man named Juan Sher assigned as a new Spaspeto of the kingdom. Bishop Michael was named by Sagdukt as Vaktang's new tutor, who taught him more of Christ and instilled a profound love for his religion. The foreign meddling did not stop with Barzabod's successor. When Vaktang turned ten, hordes of Assetians poured into Kartli through the Dario Pass. They captured huge tracts of land, from the Mitkfari River all the way down to the Hunani River, leaving a trail of burnt villages in their wake. Of course, they were smart enough to ignore fortified cities, since they knew that siege warfare was not for them. However, they decided to take a look at one city, that of Kaspi, where Vaktang's three-year-old sister, Mirandukt, resided with her tutor. They assaulted the city and pillaged it, looting everything that wasn't nailed down, including Mirandukt herself. They took her over the mountain passes back into Ossetia. The rest of the forces continued into Caucasian Albania and raided the regions of Rani and Movakan. They seemed an unstoppable force, as both nations were in a period of major transition. Once a retaliatory force assembled, the Ascentians simply retreated through the passes around Derbent, aided by the locals of the area. To further add to the chaos, the Kartveli lands were slowly being devoured on all sides. The Romans used the turmoil of the internal politics of Kartli to annex more and more lands from Abkhazia all the way from the lower reaches of Egritskali to the fortress of Tsikegolgi. The Kartveli people could not understand why they were made to suffer so and blamed their misfortune on themselves, as Vaktang was a bit too young to be blamed for the direction of the nation. It's not like there was, you know, a queen regent that had done everything behind the scenes for the last three years or anything. As Vaktang's lessons continued, he became more and more acutely aware of the two-headed snake of religious and political encroachment by the Persians, but had no idea how to stop it just yet. As the years passed, Vaktang finally came of age to take the reins of his throne officially. After his coronation, he gathered all the Aristavi of Kartli and Spaspeto Juancer 
to the throne room. They waited and waited for him to arrive, and once he did, he took a seat upon his throne, flanked by the lower seats of Spaspeto Joancher and Bishop Michael. The Aristavi stood beneath him, eagerly awaiting for his word. These were the commanders of his battalions, and like the warriors they were, they stood at attention. Vakhtan stood up from his throne and gazed upon his men. His mouth opened, and he spoke as if he were a wise old philosopher giving a lesson to the people. Our kings suffered trials and tribulations, and they were sent to the people by God for their sins. When believers fail in their devotion to God and ignore his precepts, God sends tribulations to such people to admonish them. The father king lovingly educates his son, edifying him for the performance of good deeds. But if a son is negligent in following his father's teaching, the father punishes him, beating him and instructing him in order to teach him all the good things and make him well behaved. So the Lord, the creator of the sky and the earth, teaches us, this is why we must thank him for his mercy. Now listen to my words. I am young and you have not seen any good from me yet. But my ancestors granted you great favors so you could continue to rule. But if the Lord grants us good fortune, I will give you such goods and nobility that you have never seen before among your ancestors. Imagine our common trail from which we all suffer as if it were only mine. But if someone takes this burden on himself, I will not suspect in the depths of my heart that he does so just out of vengeance. But I will accept it as a service to me and will repay him with good things. I cannot stand any more of the accession's mockery. I am setting my hopes upon the consubstantial trinity which gave birth to the infinity of God led by his cross which he provides as a guide and a weapon to those who keep it in their hearts we are going to have revenge on the assyrians if these misfortunes have fallen on us on account of the king of persia or the king of greece we would have endured them but we cannot suffer oppression by the assyrians it would be better to die than bear it but, being the self-appointed Spaspeto of the Persian Shah, Juan Shed could not help but respond to his king in a condescending manner. Be blessed king forever and ever in your greatness and your fulfillment of your will upon your enemy. You speak the truth. These calamities befell us because of our sins, and the Lord judges us justly, for we have multiplied our sins against him. And we should thank God, because we deserved greater sufferings than those that fell to our lot. But the merciful Lord sent us ordeals incommensurable with our sins, edifying us through such insignificant trials. So we, the true Cartlians, have to thank the Lord greatly, for he sent you to us as our leader, and best among all the Georgian kings, you, who surpass your ancestors and are perfectly in everything like Nebrot the giant. God charged you with the task of dispersing our troubles, old as well as recent ones. And while our sins may not allow it, we expect from you the ending of all of our misfortunes, and the achievement of more successes within the bounds of our country than ever before. For not one of our forefathers 
is equal to you. Be blessed, our king, for all eternity. From the time when the Assyrians invaded us, we have lived in great grief, for you were young and unable to fight. Lead the army and put things in order in your kingdom. Now, our king, you are vested with wisdom and strength, courage and stature. Though you are not yet of the age to performing feats of arms, but I see your wisdom. And young though you are, you are able to rule the kingdom, although the time of your military feats and your leadership in the army has not yet arrived. Such is my opinion. According to your understanding and following your mother's advice, choose one of us to command the army and entrust us to him whom we will obey like your father and with the power of the Trinity and our consubstantial God, we will seek revenge. You, meanwhile, remain in your house and rule the kingdom. If we are defeated by the Assyrians because of our sinfulness, your kingdom will not suffer. But if you fall on the battlefield due to our sins, the whole country will be defeated. For nobody could replace you. The Aristabi murmured in agreement with the Spasbeto. Their king was an untried boy, and Juancher knew more than Vakhtan ever could at this moment. After being regent for five long years, the boy had to be put in this place. However, Vakhtan saw the support waiting from him, and he scolded Juancher. Juancher, you talk as becomes one who is faithful and full of wisdom, but I am not going to follow your advice. For since the time this trial befalls us, I spend all my days in grief, like a man imprisoned in a dungeon. Pity for my sister pierces my heart like a fiery sword, and death for me is more desirable than life. And entrusting myself to God and led by his holy cross, I am going to go with you, in person, trusting in his infinite mercy, hoping that he will not abandon me, but grant me victory. The Aristavi remained unable to dissuade Vakhtang from going out to fight the Assetians and going to battle himself, and agreed to assist him and prayed to God to be his salvation. They returned to their respective territories and made the preparations needed for the invasion of Assetia. Vakhtang, sensing that he would need more men than he could muster, sent an envoy to his uncle Vitaxa Virazbakur. The Vitaxa gladly lent support to his nephew, as the Assetians had raided and pillaged his lands years ago as well. With support from the east and within his own country, Vakhtang rallied the troops. Soldiers and commanders arrived at Mitaschieta to prepare for their march north, and once Vakhtang had rallied everyone, he had an army composed of a thousand horsemen, sixty thousand infantry, and Virazbakur had lent his nephew 12,000 horsemen for the war effort. It was a tearful departure in the palace. Vakhtang approached his mother, Sagdukt, and his sister, Hwaranze, and let them know that in his absence, they were to rule the kingdom. Vakhtang dismissed his sister, and let his mother know his will. If anything were to happen to him, Hwaranze was to marry Mirian, their cousin from Rev's side of the family. Sagdukt agreed, and blessed her son, praying to the Lord that he would return to her safely from his battle. The army marched forth from Metisqueta and went through the Kartveli lands. The march was long, but they made their camp at Tianeti. There, 
they waited for the other rulers of the Caucasian lands who had grievances with the Assadians. Vakhtan patiently awaited, praying to the Lord each night. Once they arrived, they had brought an additional 50,000 horsemen to his growing army. The march continued, and Vakhtan would see the Daryl Pass for the first time. He marched through the mountainous terrain with his over 100,000 soldiers. Once he passed through the Caucasian mountain range, the land around him became flatter and flatter. Vakhtang let out a small prayer as he saw the mountains disappear behind him, marking the end of the Daryl Pass. At the mere age of 16, Vakhtang had arrived in Assyria. To see images and bibliography related to today's episode, please go to our website to check them out under the episodes page at historyofsacramento.com. It contains all the links to our social media and email contact information. Sacradvelo is spelled S-A-Q-A-R-T-V-E-L-O. To help this podcast continue, please feel free to donate to the podcast via Coffee or PayPal. The link is in the episode transcription and on our website. Our Amazon wishlist is also available if you'd like to purchase a book for us. And we do have a Patreon, so feel free to support us there as well. The best way to help us is via review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast host, as it goes a long way with getting the word out about the show and helping us reach new people to learn about Georgia. Madlaba Danachmamdis, and thank you for listening to the history of Sacadvelo, Georgia. See you next time. Thank <laughs> you.